0: Uh, hi guys i 'm Nathaniel. I 'm um, just here to share a bit with you about um, what it is that Christians believe, and specifically what it was that these guys were giving their life to today. Um, and I, I've always felt a certain amount of pity for the preacher that has to follow testimonies, because you hear sort of four incredible, powerful, very personal testimonies, like, seriously moving, and I 'd always just sit back and think, "Good luck following that." Um, (Laughter) And now I'm here. Um, So I wanted to prepare well for it. So uh, I started by reading the work of a Victorian preacher to make sure that my references were razor sharp and up to date. Um, He was a guy called Charles Spurgeon. And he said that the role of a preacher was to turn the world upside down. And that is entirely my intention today, is to turn the world upside down, to turn your world upside down. And I'm going to do that just by explaining what it is that Christians believe. And because it's not just a nice philosophy, it's a radical, revelatory thing where your life is wholly changed, as we heard about today. So that's my aim. No biggie. Um, And I'm going to do that by reading a story about Jesus and uh, someone he meets called Nicodemus. So I'm reading from the book of John, uh, chapter 3. And if... uh, If, like, some of the people that were baptized today, you grew up in a Christian family, um, chances are you might recognize uh, this passage and specifically one verse. So, John 3, starting from verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. That's what these guys are doing today. They're Speaking of what they know, testifying what they've seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man, which is the name Jesus used to refer to himself. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. So our story starts with Nicodemus, who this passage tells us was one of the Pharisees who were the religious rulers of the day. And the Pharisees were assumed by most people to be the righteous ones, the ones with the right morals, who were doing everything right. They, that was the assumption about them. And they were also the ones that sort of uh, tried to impart those morals to everybody else. Who do you think might be the modern day equivalent of that? Someone that just always has, seems to have all the right opinions. They think the right things. They're decent people, and they try and get other people to do that. Personally, I think it's newspaper columnists. (laughs) Um, But we know people like this, where for them, the important thing is to Just be very moral on everything. That's the kind of person that Nicodemus is. Yet here he is turning up at night, which suggests in secret, to speak to a rebellious rabbi who only the chapter before was storming through the temple with a whip he made himself and overturning the tables. Why? I think it's because in spite of Nicodemus's qualifications, his credentials as a good person, He knew that something was missing and had heard of this Jesus guy and thought, maybe he's got some answers. And I feel like there are people here today who have come here and perhaps you haven't told your friends that you're coming here out of embarrassment that you're going to church. Perhaps you knew you could sneak out because all your friends would still be asleep at half ten in the morning. And perhaps you've come because you've heard about this Jesus guy, but you don't know what's happening and you, you want to ask more questions, that in spite of how good you are, there's still, there's still questions in your life. And Jesus' response to Nicodemus is the same response to all of us today. And at first glance, it's really unpalatable. It's a bit of a shock. Jesus says, you must be born again. You need to totally change your life or welcome in a total change of life. And he says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned. That's a, that's a controversial verse, and I'm saying that Jesus' response to Nicodemus is the same response to all of us. And now you might be thinking, oh no, my worst suspicions of Christians are true. They're just here to make me feel bad But the story doesn't end with condemnation. That's not the entirety of the verse, of the passage we read. But before I get to that bit, I want to explain what I mean about condemnation, because it's something that could very easily be misunderstood. And it involves the S word, sin. Probably the most controversial thing about Christianity in 21st century Britain is the idea of sin which suggests that there is a higher standard that God calls us to live to, and we have all failed to meet that standard. Um, This has its origins, it's as old as humanity itself, where we were designed to know God, to be in a relationship with him, for much the same reason that many parents choose to have children is to love them and to be loved by them. That's why we exist. That's why we were created. But like many children with their parents, apart from Naomi, apparently, but most children feel the need to rebel against their parents at some point instead of joining them for late-night prayer meetings. Um, (laughs) Like... um, Like children, we've rebelled against God. We've rebelled against our purpose and the reason we were created. We hear about this standard, and we think, no, I can live my own way. And we put something else in place of God, and that's usually ourself. We choose our way and independence over dependence on God. And that's what sin is. It's our choice to reject God to leave him behind, and we have all done that at some point. This separates us from God. This causes an irrevocable separation from God and everything that that brings with it, which means eternal life, but also his daily guidance in our lives. We miss out on the relationship that we were designed for, and things that don't get used for their purposes tend to break down. And fall apart. If you leave a boat moored in its, in its dock, uh, the engine will jam up. It'll become unusable. Uh, trains that aren't used seize up. They rust. And that's kind of where we are. This is in uh, Bolivia um, on the salt plains outside Uyuni. And uh, these trains have been uh, taken off their tracks. And over time, the salt and wind and people stealing the parts Uh, have come and left them as these hollow, um, rusted wrecks. That's kind of what we're like. We were designed to know God, but we're like trains taken off our tracks. And again, this isn't the end of the story. It doesn't end with... I'm not here to just be miserable and be like, wow, we're all broken, aren't we? There is more. And we've heard the testimonies about how there's more. But just think about whether this resonates with you, whether the Bible's idea of sin and separation from God resonates with you. Because if you look at the world today, we try really hard to find the solutions to all of our problems through humanity. We, um, and we, we put systems in place, and yet there's still a deep dissatisfaction Politics is so limited, and surely that's become more evident than ever recently, where for all the good that it does, and it does do a lot of good, don't get me wrong, it can't change hearts, can't stop someone from being greedy or cruel. What, what other things do we put in place? Well, there's uh, self actualization the grand Hollywood myth. Find yourself then be yourself. But what that doesn't account for is what if the yourself that you find sucks? (laughs) Like, uh, being yourself is all well and good, but, you know, not all of us have, like, ice powers or whatever. Like, (laughs) it's just, let it go is just such a limited way of understanding the world. But more than that, what if... You find yourself and, and, but being yourself means that you still have to live with hurts that you've caused in the past. Or being yourself means that uh, you're still impatient or angry the whole time. What if being yourself isn't actually who you want to be? Or what if being yourself is a memo that didn't get to the violent and the abusive people in your life? All I'm saying is, look around at the world. And there's brokenness evident everywhere and we keep looking to humanity for solutions and I don't, think it's, I don't think it's working. And I think that's why Nicodemus is there, because this problem is well over 2,000 years old. <laughs> Jolly sermon, isn't it? Um, but as I've been promising, this isn't the end of the story and I wouldn't be much of a preacher if I presented a problem and didn't offer the solution. And the solution is to be born again through Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus tells Nicodemus he has to do. And he he does it through this strange story about snakes being lifted up in the desert. And he uses that to foretell his own crucifixion. When he talks about being lifted up, that's what he means. He's talking about his crucifixion that he knows is coming. The snakes, uh, that's just referring to a story in the Old Testament when God saved Israel from dying of snake bites um, because they were in the desert, there were snakes. He saved them from that through uh, raising up the snake in the desert. The snake didn't have any inherent power. It was a symbol to show uh, that God has the power to save life. And Jesus is saying, if he can save physical life, like if he can save you from death in your body, he can also save your spiritual life. That's going to take something a little more. That's going to take God himself, Jesus, the son of man, being crucified and coming back from death. And there are two claims you need to consider here. One is the claim that Jesus made about himself, that he was the son of God. A part of God himself, he said, I and the Father are one. And then there's the second claim made by his disciples <coughs> that he resurrected from the dead. Now, contemporary historians like from Jesus' era documented his life and his death. And they also spoke of these rumors of a resurrection that suddenly this one group of religious followers has become hundreds upon hundreds of people claiming that they've seen the resurrected Jesus. And the Gospels, the four books in the Bible we have that talk about the life of Jesus and among the best historical documents from that era that we have, say that it is because Jesus was the Son of God that he was able to defeat death and come back to life. And you need to account for the resurrection in some way. You have to account for these claims, how one teacher in a backwater town of first century Palestine could somehow get executed and then spur on a world religion that has over a billion followers today. And it all hinges on the resurrection, which, as they say, historians, writers, doctors of the time attest to this resurrection because if he was resurrected then his claims about being the son of God would be true because only the son of God would have that power over death but if the claims about him being the son of God are true then suddenly we have God himself being brutally murdered in the most excruciating way possible why and that's where the most famous verse in the bible comes in John three sixteen for God so loved the world, so loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You see, Jesus died, but he was the only person that didn't deserve to, because he was the only person that didn't rebel from God the Father. He was the only person that didn't sin. He was the only person for whom that separation wasn't due to him. Because he was doing, but he died in our place. Which means that we can take on that death. We can have the punishment that should be due to us lifted from us because it has been laid on Jesus instead. And it's out of love because although we continually reject God, often despise God. He loves us so much that he would do anything, even send his own son, just to restore the relationship with him. And that's what he's crying out for. He wants that relationship restored. And he sent Jesus to make that happen. In the face of our inadequacy, we're given Jesus's perfection. That's not a fair exchange. And I'm so exceptionally grateful that it isn't because I have nothing to bring to the table. And through this sacrifice, we can be born again. And here's that phrase again. You must be born again. And I want to clarify what it is, because there was a time when born again sort of came to mean a type of Christian. You know, oh, watch out, he's one of those born-agains. And they're kind of the people sitting around you at the moment, traditionally, is how we think of the born-agains. You know, the ones that talk about knowing God. And lift their hands in the air, and are basically just a bit weird. <laughs> but that's not what born again means, because here Jesus is saying that in order to become a Christian, in order to follow Christ, you have to be born again. And what that is, is you are given a new spiritual life. Jesus talks regularly. Uh, Jesus talks here about you, you have to be uh, born of water and the Spirit. And although he wasn't talking about Christian baptism, because that hadn't been instituted at that point, what we were doing today is a reflection of this process of being born of water and spirit. And this is a, a, an image that runs throughout the whole Bible, and it talks of purification, of a total cleansing. And I tried to think of an anal- analogy for this. I thought, what could help illustrate this? Maybe like a, a, a really powerful hot shower after a day of hard labor, or perhaps that feeling of a sunny day after a month of grayness. And you know how both of those things can just lift your spirit, but both of them felt inadequate because they are temporary and actually quite shallow things, whereas this is deep and eternal. It's a new life being given to you. It's a heart of flesh being put in where there was a heart of stone, and it changes everything. I have been born again through Jesus. And it has totally changed my life. For one thing, it restored my relationship with God. But also, it it made me able to listen to him. And actually, a new heart, a heart of flesh, a heart of stone, is what will change the world. Because to change the world, you need to change hearts. And Jesus is the only one with the power to do that. And so I'm on a journey now with my heart of flesh where I'm listening to God and learning from him and trying to become more like Jesus who lived a perfect life. There was nothing in me that was good enough to be saved. But because I was saved through God's love, I can start to express the goodness of God to other people. And honestly, this is the hope. This is the hope for the hopelessness in the world right now. To change the world, you have to change hearts. And that's what being born again is about. You have the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity, coming to live inside you. So that you have constant access to God, your creator, your father. And this is available for everyone today. This is available for you today. I was really struck by um, a a lyric recently on um, Chance the Rapper's new album, where... (laughs) Are you all laughing because I listen to rap? (laughs) It's a great lyric. It's on the track Finish Line, where the vocalist says, emptiness was tamed in me, and all that was left was his love. And that's what's on offer. If you come here today feeling despair, or hopelessness, or feeling empty, you can get that replaced with the love of God. The searching that you might be experiencing finds its end in God. Or to use an older, more famous song, I once was lost, but now I'm found. That's available to you. Something was nagging at Nicodemus. He couldn't work out what it was, but he knew he needed to go and talk to Jesus. And perhaps you're in that same boat. Something's unsettled in you. That for all your goodness, for all your morals, or perhaps you're you're aware even that you're not a moral person, you just know that there's a deep dissatisfaction. And Jesus says you must be born again. And that's no minor change. It's it's a total reversal of everything you know. It's a new spirit being born in you. Jesus explains why people don't do this at the end of this passage. He says, light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. And perhaps you're here, and you're actually nervous about the light. You feel like there's something you have to be ashamed of, something in your past perhaps, and you know that if you step into the light, that it will be exposed before God. But the light doesn't expose your shame, it gets rid of it. And if we go back to the verse 3.16... Look at that one crucial word, whoever, whoever believes in him. So if you're here today and you're thinking this isn't for me, I'm saying this is for you. God's saying this is for you. So we're going to respond now. Um, and the way that you grab hold of this eternal life that's promised to you, the way that you grab hold of this relationship, this spiritual rebirth, this regeneration is simple. It's just a prayer because all the work's been done. It's all been done by Jesus. All we have to do is pray and put our trust in him. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer after we sing a song so if we could get the band back up. Um, And the prayer is really simple. There's three parts. One is that you repent of your sins. And that's actually an important thing because we have rebelled against God and we need to acknowledge that. But then we ask for forgiveness. And we know that we will find it there. That's the promise. Whoever believes in him. And then we commit our lives to following Jesus. And that might sound like a huge thing. It might sound like turning the world upside down. But the world was the wrong way up to start off with. God's just putting it back in its rightful place. It's time to be born again. It's time to step into the light, to find your purpose, to find the thing you were created for. So I'm going to lead a response in, in a second. But first, we're just going to sing "Amazing Grace," that just speaks of uh, everything that Jesus has accomplished. And while we're singing it, just think about it. Think think about being born again and the promise of new life that can just radically change your world. We've heard how it changes lives and it can change yours as well.